Come on, let's give that hand clap to the Lord right now. Come on, does anybody have a shout left in you? Come on, let's test it out. On the count of three, somebody shout to God with the voice of triumph. One, two, three, let's go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, it's good to see you in the house this morning. Be seated just for a quick moment. I want you to know something. At Indiana camp, you are busy and you stay busy the whole time. Amen. How many of you guys enjoyed a late night last night? Some of y'all enjoyed it so much that your woo was about 50%. And uh, let's, let's take a poll here. Who got to sleep at 2 o'clock? Some of y'all's liars. Who got to sleep at 3 o'clock? Who told the person next to you to shut up at 4 o'clock? I see those hands. I see the adults saying amen. Amen. What you didn't say was those, those were your own children. Okay. I got you. I know what's up. I've done this job long enough to know that we're going to start getting tired at some point because we've been rolling, rolling, rolling. But I'm telling you that I feel like God's going to do something wonderful today. Man, did we not hear a powerful word from our general superintendent last night? Amen. Not only did we hear a powerful word, but I want to commend this camp on our response to the word last night. It does not matter what preaching happens this week if we don't respond to the word. Oftentimes, the true tell is in the response. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Carpenter, for preaching so powerfully to us what we needed. And thank you to our Indiana camp for your response to the word. Speaking of Bishop Sister Carpenter, you may know or you may not know, but today is their 30th anniversary. And they're at Indiana. Is it 30 how many? My Lord. Hey, I can't read. I can sing, but I can't read. 39. 39. Oh, we could do better than that. We could do better than that. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, Bishop, you correct me if I'm wrong, but your honeymoon was preaching a camp. My, 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 my. My, 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 my. In Indiana, of all places. Amen. We wish you a happy anniversary. You can remain standing. Those of you who are not standing, if you would stand, I want to. I want to take my text at this time. We're going to go to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. Then um, you don't have to turn there, but we're going to immediately jump over to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1. While you're going there, I want to give honor to all the ministry that is present. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Gill, the district board. Thank you, Pastor Lyke and the youth board extended the invitation for me to come. Amen. Thank you to all of our preachers and preachers' wives and upcoming preachers. And can I just say thank you for investing in young preachers. Come on, this is where it happens. This is where it happens. This is, this is our investment coming to light. 
And, and while I'm on the subject, while I'm on the subject, I was just reminiscing over here a moment ago as, as Brother Dobbs doing such a wonderful job. Brother Like, and I was, I was sitting right there and I was thinking about my first ever district youth president. And you might not realize this, but it was none other than Pastor Nathan Cannon. In his, in his brief, everybody say brief. In his brief stint of Oklahoma, he doesn't want to remember it right now. But I want you to know something that, uh, Brother Cannon, I'm not preaching on this point today, but maybe it's possible that your time in Oklahoma was to partially produce myself. Because that guy made sure that I had a microphone and gave me the chance to speak, and it was awful. Hopefully things have improved since then, but it was not good. And he didn't just do it once, but he did it multiple times. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Nathan and Sister Amy Cannon. I know you guys are. You got a good thing when you got them all the way up here in Indiana. So I give them honor today. I want to tell my wife and my children one more time how much I love and appreciate them. And then I left someone out yesterday, but I didn't really leave them out, but I just want to throw them in right now. And that is, you may or may not be aware, you probably already are, but in our AYC trip this summer, we launched our first ever European Youth Convention. And I'm so excited. And you saw just a glimpse last night, Brother Carpenter, of why we had such a phenomenal move of the Holy Ghost in Rome. And a lot of it had to do with the worship efforts of the church and the youth from Mannheim. Amen. So welcome in. We're so glad that they're here. Amen. That, I guess, Brother Gill, that makes this an international camp meeting. Amen. It's time to rebrand. This is the Indiana International Camp Meeting. Amen. All right. If you're at Nehemiah, shout praise the Lord. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, and it goes like this. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. He said, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we may be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which is good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened, everybody said they strengthened. They strengthen their hands for this good work. If we jump over to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, you could turn there or you can just cheat a minute and just watch on the screen behind me. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Now he asked a couple of important questions here that oftentimes we might be uh, inclined to skim over. He says, will they fortify themselves? The real important question is this one. Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? And verse number three, this is the spirit of our age right here. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Look at your neighbor, tell him, not very confident. Not very confident in their ability to build a wall. 
Amen. I want to preach to you for a few moments this afternoon. I got the time of day right, so we're already off to a good start. This simple thought, the devil hates a wall. The devil hates a wall. Will you help me pray? Come on, just one more time. Lift up your voices with me. Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you so much for what you're going to do in this place today. God, we know that you're the rewarder of them who diligently seek you. And God, I come to tell you right now that I could speak on behalf of this crowd that we are here on purpose today. God, we're asking you to speak to our hearts. God, I don't have anything to say, but if you would speak, Lord, we'd be transformed. So God, I'm asking you right now that you don't want these lips of clay to deliver your word. Anoint our eyes and ears and our hearts to receive it. We'll receive it with gladness. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the word. Uh, in his poem, Mending Fences, Author Robert Frost writes this. He says, something there is that doesn't love a wall. And he goes on to say, he will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well. He says again, anybody know this phrase? Good fences make... Oh, we just saw the divide right there in the age group. Good fences make good neighbors. In this poem, in this work of what some would call a literary classic, there's a stone wall that separates the speaker's property from his neighbor's property. And in the spring, the two will meet to walk the wall, and the story goes that they jointly make repairs. Now, let me, let me bring something to your attention for a moment. The speaker in this, in this story does not see any reason for the wall to be kept in repair. There are no cows to be contained, just apples and pine trees. He, and the story goes on to say that he does not believe in walls simply for the sake of walls. The neighbor resorts to an old adage in reply. He says, hey, buddy, good fences make good neighbors. But the speaker remains unconvinced. And he mischievously presses the neighbor to look beyond the old-fashioned folly of such reasoning. His neighbor will not be swayed. And the speaker of this poem envisions his neighbor as a holdover from a justifiably outmoded era. A living example, if you would, of a dark age mentality. But the neighbor simply repeats the old adage, the one that his father always told him. Son... Good fences make good neighbors. It is a story, if you would, in the lessons of the need for boundaries. Now, I already hear some teenager right now saying, well, it wouldn't be camp if somebody didn't start talking to us about boundaries. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if it doesn't include boundaries, it's not apostolic. We are a people, we are a church, come on, we are a doctrine that values boundaries. At the very minimum, Brother Lycan, because good fences make, oh, y'all coming on board now. Good fences make good neighbors. In the opening story of Nehemiah, we find a man who is grieved that he has such a high position in the court of King Artaxerxes while the ancestral Jerusalem lie in waste. Nehemiah, a man who had achieved success in a foreign land, in a captive 
court. I want you to hear me right now. He was the most trusted man in the kingdom. You don't think so? The Bible bears out that he was the cup bearer to the emperor of the known world at that time in history. He had everything he needed by the world standards. Uh, Amen. He He had everything that he wanted, except perhaps his freedom and the wall of Jerusalem to be built. But he was there. He was the first in line that if something bad was going to happen to the king, it was going to happen to this guy first. He drank the first cup. Amen. Whenever the chicken came out, he took the first bite of the chicken. Praise God. Everybody said, I want that job. Amen. I'm getting you hungry so that you'll be ready to get with me so we can go here in a little bit. Some of y'all's like, dinner's at 4.30, so. You're busy at this camp, and you're also not hungry. Amen. You, got, you get your feel around here. And so the Bible says that Nehemiah is grieved that he's sitting in such a high position, and he's doing so well in life. But the problem is that he is still a captive in a foreign land, and he's serving a foreign king, and, and he's sitting in a walled city, and he's sitting in a palace, and he's got guards around him. They, nobody's going to mess with the, with the cupbearer. Ain't nobody going to mess with the king's best buddy there. But the king noticed that he's a little down in the mouth, and he's kind of sad in the face, and he said, man, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. He said, my ancestral city is lying in waste. The house of the Lord is in disrepair. There's no walls to protect the people. The city that God said he was going to put his name in forever is wide open to anything that wants to come in at any time. It's being ravaged by her enemies. Not only has she been ravaged one time, but she's been ravaged many times. And here I sit in opulence and in privilege, but all I really want is a little revival. He had everything that he wanted, but was more concerned with the fact that God's people had no boundaries. If you remember the story, the king releases Nehemiah to go and rebuild the wall that was broken down. I don't know if this is where Donald Trump got his inspiration. Amen. Some people might not uh, uh, think that Trump ever went to church, but he said we were going to build the wall and make Mexico pay for it. Amen. Uh, The king of the known world at the time wrote the blank check. He said, I'll tell you what, not only are you going to go back, Nehemiah, and you're going to rebuild the wall, but everybody around you is going to pay for it. He sent a letter with him. He said, you guys give them timber and you guys give them stone if they need it. And you guys, you guys pay for this. And I'm writing him a, a blank check. Can you understand right now, amen, what the value of a true burden can do? Just think for a minute that if you could get enough of a burden this week at this camp, that even the ungodly when you get home can feel that burden coming off of you. That even people that don't like what your pastor preaches and they don't even like what you stand for, they can see and feel the burden just emanating off of you. Come on, people that you've been inviting to church for who knows how long that said, you know what, you come back from Frankfurt and something is just a little bit different about you. And you know, you guys have always been preaching and you've always been working and and I've always seen you out and about doing what you do and I see revivals and I watch you online, but man, there's something, it's like there's a need inside of you. Can I tell you right now, amen, that if Nehemiah could get enough of a burden uh, that the king would release him from the most important job in the kingdom. 
He said, I will write that check. He said, I'm going to write that check. So let's fast forward to Nehemiah chapter 4. Amen. And we understand that it comes to pass. Nehemiah gets there, and they're getting to work on the wall. He said, you know what? You guys get over here and do this job. And, and by the way, I'm not preaching two messages today, but there was a group of guys working on the wall, and there was always a group of guys working on the house of God. You remember that part of the story? Let me throw that in here real quick because this is good for some young people to hear me right, uh, say right now. I need some pastors and some parents to really amen me. Uh, and if parents, if you're guilty of any of this, you're gonna amen me even louder. They went in, they said, we're gonna rebuild our houses. And the man of God said, no, 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 no. There's not going to be a roof on your house until there is a roof on the house of God. There is not going to be a wall standing at your house until there is a wall standing at the house of God. They got their stuff together, and they went, and they began to build the house of God. They said, listen, uh, you need to understand something. You need to teach your children that the house of God is more important than anything else. The house of God's more important than my comfort. The house of God's more important than my sports team. Uh, come on, the house of God's more important than than even my educational dreams. It's the most central, important thing. What is the purpose of building the boundaries if you have no house to worship in? That's why he was curious. Will they sacrifice? Mm. When it came to pass, when our enemies heard that it was known unto us that they were trying to tear down our wall that we had been building. And God had brought their counsel to naught that we return all of us to the wall. Everybody say all of us. That we return to all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the habergens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. And listen to what he says. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one, say every one, with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. Come on, this is old school. They were working, but they were ready to fight. They were building, but they were ready to fight. He said they got tools in one hand and they've got weapons in the other hand. He said for the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. A couple of important things. Every man, let me say everyone, everyone had a tool for building. Ah. Uh, Everyone had a tool for building. Let me tell you something. I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna save you 20 years of frustration in ministry, young man, young woman. Everyone has a tool for building. It is everyone's job to build. It's everyone's job to work. Amen. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna help you right now. Preaching and pastoring is not counting money and eating fried chicken all day. Everybody is working. Everybody is working. Our general superintendent and his wife got married and went and preached a camp meeting. And for their 39th anniversary, they're yet again preaching a camp meeting. I'm telling you right now that every man has a tool for building. You put your weapon by your side and you don't draw it until we need it. But right now we need you swinging a hammer. Right? If we're not fighting, we need you working. If we're not fighting, 
we need you building. If we're not fighting, we need you gathering materials. If we're not fighting, we need you to be where you're supposed to be. You need to be there where you're supposed to be there, and you need to be ready for anything. Everybody say everyone. Had a tool for building. Well, I just don't know if I'm cut out for some of this stuff. You're cut out for all of it. You're either cut out for all of it or you're not cut out for any of it. Come on, we all have a tool for building. It is your job to go home. I'm gonna get myself in trouble. It's your time, it's your job. I say, it's my job. Take your finger and point at yourself. It is my job to go home and build my church. Let's get a little bit more specific, young people. Point at yourself, say, it's my job to go home and build my youth group. I'm going to help you right now. Your youth pastor doesn't go to your school. Your pastor doesn't go to your college. Come on. Are you listening to me? It is your job to build your youth group. It's your job to build your church. Uh, Come on. It's your job to get to work. Uh, It's your job to put a tool in your hand. Uh, It's your job that when God looks down, he finds you working. It's your job to say amen, pastor. It's your job to show up to Bible study. It's your job to show up to prayer meeting. Come on, don't make your pastor have to get you on a Zoom call to teach you a, a one, oneness of God Bible study or how about just simple faithfulness? Just show up. Come on, Pastor Simon King got up at NYC a couple years ago and said, you don't eat if you don't work. I don't know where everybody got the idea that, well, they know where we are. They'll be there one of these days. They will not. I live in a town of 2,500 people. And sometimes, Brother Hoffman, I think to myself, everybody knows where we are. And really, they should because we're right at the epicenter of everything in Wilburton. If there was a thing, we're at the epicenter of it. Our thing is ball fields and a rodeo ground. I don't know what your thing is, but that's the epicenter of the cowboys where I live, okay? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm not a cowboy, but I'm surrounded by cowboys. I don't know what the Lord has done with me, but here I am nonetheless. My legs are not long enough, and I don't wear boots. (laughs) Wranglers don't make anything that'll fit me. Okay. Anyway. We're right at the epicenter of our town, and, and I'm always coming across somebody. I'll invite them to church and be like, well, where's that at? Dings my pride a little bit. I'm like, whoa. What do you mean, where's that at? Like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Or they'll be like, I'm new here. What really gets me is the people that aren't new here. I said all that to say this. You cannot take it for granted that everybody knows who you are, where you are, what you stand for. I don't, did you know that this is a social gospel? We can't propagate a social gospel and be an anti-social church. You're going to have to throw a line over the wall. You're going to have to open up a door. You're going to have to open up a window. You're going to have to do something. Amen. But one thing's for sure. you got to get a tool in your hand, and you got to get to work. Don't let your pastor build this by himself. Uh, don't let him go in and get to the pulpit every Sunday and Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday, whatever your midweek is, uh, and make him have to get a tool by himself uh, and work by himself. Uh, and, I grew up uh, working with my dad, and my dad had, a, had this concept. He said, if the boss has a tool in his hand, you aren't working enough. Boy, that's like, that's some old school. Look at your name. That's some old school talk right there. 
Some of these guys are like, what's that? Some of y'all are like, you mean if my boss is, is working on his computer, I should be working on my computer? I'm, talk, I'm talking about people with calluses on their hands. This church is going to be built by people with calluses on their hands. Amen. Amen. I, th- this church is going to be built by folks that are going to get in there and they're going to get their elbows dirty and they're going to make the work happen. And they're not only going to work on the, on the work, but they're going to work on each other. Come on, the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, doing what? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Bishop. We ought to pray till we have a break. We ought to pray till the Holy Ghost starts praying. Amen. You want to see some rewards in prayer? We ought to pray. We ought to get addicted to prayer to the point that the Holy Ghost starts praying. And then we could just watch and see what God is trying to do. He said, you need to build yourselves up by praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It is your job to grow doctrinally strong and engage in personal and corporate development in the doctrine. Amen. Come on, I think we're laboring just a little here for a second. I'm losing students when I'm talking about things like doctrine. Doctrine is profitable unto you. I've been in in youth ministry long enough to know that I'm not just going to assume that you know how many gods that there are, and I'm not just going to assume that you know why we baptize in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm I'm telling you right now, it didn't come out of a seminary somewhere, and it didn't come out of a meeting. It came out of a, then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You ought to know enough about doctrine to know that the Roman road, amen, was written to people who already had Christ. Amen. There is only one planet of salvation, and it's repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. But if you don't know enough doctrine to explain that, you're always going to be in trouble. You can be seated for a moment. I had a student one time. I always love to tell about Jacob. Oh, Jacob told Jacob one time, we pulled up to the campground in Oklahoma, and I said, hey, don't anybody get in any trouble. I'll be right there. I have a strict no-fighting policy. We're from Oklahoma, so sometimes people just fight. It doesn't have to make sense. They're just rough. And so, anyway, we're we're there on the campground at Tiger Mountain. Some of our ministries have been there. And so, uh, man, I'm going. I'm the youth secretary at the time. You know, like, I got things to do. And I was like, man, do not get in any altercations. Don't do anything stupid. That was my main rule. Don't do anything stupid. Now, that's a wide, encompassing thing. But don't don't do anything stupid. I open up the door, uh, Brother Gill, and the first thing that I see is Jacob absolutely knocking, uh, almost knocking a guy's teeth out on the basketball court. I said that to tell you about Jacob. So Jacob, Jacob, he wanted to be in ministry, and, and he's, he's in ministry now. He's doing great, okay? But uh, he wanted to be in ministry from an early age. He loved preaching, and he loved listening to preaching. He's like, man, preach to me, pastor. But Jacob also loved to get in Bible fights. That's what I call people who don't have all their stuff together. And he would get into the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, or in our town, it was students because they're not that athletic. So anyway, uh, they're like, it's going to be open for everybody. We're all coming in. And he would get into Bible fights with them. And let me tell you something. If you don't know what you're talking about, the other people who also don't know what they're talking about, you will not know what you're talking about together. 
And when the blind lead the blind, they fall into the ditch. There's a lot of mud in the ditch. And so Jacob would get into these Bible fights with everybody. He'd be like, you know, no, I'm going to tell you why you got to be baptized in Jesus' name. And they're like, we've never heard of this. That sounds like heresy. And Jacob's like, don't you tell me that's heresy. He'd get all fighting mad over it. Finally, one day he called me up. He said, Pastor, I'm going to put you on speakerphone. I need you to teach these guys a Bible study on Jesus' name. This is in the middle of school. This is back when you could get away with having phones. Hey, I used, to, I used to take a knife to school, so that's how old school I am. I'm only 37, but Oklahoma's a little bit behind. And, uh, and, so, and so he's in, he's in this setting. He's like, I'm going to put you on speakerphone, and, and I, I, want you to, I want you to preach to these guys. And I said, take me off speakerphone right now, Jake. I said, don't you call me again to ask, to ask for help. I said, if you cannot teach them about the oneness of God, and you can't show them in Scripture that every single New Testament convert was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for their remission of sins. Amen. Don't call me back until you can teach that. And the next time I want to hear from you is that it was a success, uh, or at least that they didn't have a rebuttal. Let me tell you, doctrine is profitable for you. We need as much doctrine as we can get. I like to get into church, uh, and I like to jump, and I like to shout, but we also need to remember Remember that we've got to get the meat of the word so that we can be built up in our most holy faith and so that we can build each other up in our most holy faith. He said, you need to grow doctrinally strong. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. You need to be guided and infused by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to throw something in here real quick because I'm hastening to move quickly. Is that, everybody say, every man had a tool. They rebuilt their broken boundaries, no doubt, with old materials that had been broken down. Many of what they used would have already been present. And in any case, even if it was not present, I want y'all to listen to me right now. I'm going to hold my hand up here so I can see you guys. I'm always so short that these lights catch me right in the eyeballs. They built that wall on the same place the other wall was built. I heard a little groan in here. They didn't say, you know what? Why don't we just move this boundary? You know what would be good? If we just move this over a little bit. No, 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 no. They got down to the foundation. And they said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. They might have tore our boundaries down, but they didn't tear our foundation down. And so we're going to build on top. I'm going to talk to these guys. We're going to build on top of the foundation, and we're going to put stone upon stone upon stone. Don't you try to build these boundaries any other place than where they go. Don't you try to build these boundaries any other place than where they go. We got a sure foundation. It's built on the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. If you're tied into the cornerstone, you can't go too far to the left and you can't go too far to the right. You're right where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, how you're supposed to be there, and it's a firm, it's a sure foundation. Oh, somebody clap your hands and shout unto God in this place. (laughs) 
Amen. It's not the job of this or succeeding generations to move boundaries. I'm going to check my time real quick. I'm going to tell you another quick story. Something happened to me. It's embarrassing for a landowner. I was out hunting unsuccessfully, I might add, in kind of the rain, which is also a bad time to go. And, uh, and I, did, I did a wrong thing. I tried to chase something against my better judgment that I knew was a bad idea for me to go wandering off into the woods. Now, where our property sits in Oklahoma, we actually live in the mountains. Where our property sits, it's, it's, it's in between two highways. And so, even in my deer stand, you can hear the cars moving on the highways. But, but Bishop Walls, the more that I walked trying to chase this thing down, the further I got away, I started noticing that I could no longer hear the cars on either highway. And I thought, that's weird. And worse than that, I've lost a little weight now, but I was on foot in boots, and it was kind of wet. And the further I got out, the sun started going down. And I thought, this is gonna be embarrassing. I'm lost on my own property. <laughs> Here's the thing though. As I was moving through the property, I noticed, Brother Frederick, that the landscape had changed. You see, because whenever I was a young teenager, my family moved from out of town into town. And we, when we moved, we didn't take care of the property quite as good as what we had done. And in that amount of time, the area that I was wandering into had grown up and it didn't look quite exactly, Brother Willis, just like I remember it being. And so I began to look for a landmark. But the problem is I had wandered so far out that I couldn't find a landmark. I couldn't hear any cars, uh, amen. My, my cell phone was, was absolutely dead. There was nothing there. I had a bow, I had my sidearm, and I had some uh, fire starting materials in the back and everything was wet. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm gonna end up having to spend the night out here in the middle of the woods. I'm gonna get eaten by a coyote or some type of a rabid rabbit or some type of a crazy squirrel, I don't know. Lions, tigers, we have bears now. Oh, my. I should say again. Anyway, uh, well, if this don't give somebody goosebumps here in a minute, you'll just go to dinner early. I kept walking, and I kept walking, and I kept walking, and Brother Gill, I thought, you know, if I keep going in this general direction, I think that there might be something that I recognize. And the further that I walked, the more hopeless that I felt until suddenly I looked up and I remembered and I saw this old dilapidated fence that was a boundary to the property from long ago that much like the two property owners that I talked about in my opening story that would make repairs, but those owners were long gone and this fence was way, way, way burning down. And I'll tell you something, amen, I looked at that fence and I reached up and this is gonna seem like a little too much, but I reached up and I, and I put my hand on that fence and I began to speak to that fence. And I, I said, is this, is this the fence? This is a true story. I said, are you the fence that I remember walking when I was a child with my dad? Are you the fence that I 
remember my dad saying, if you ever get lost, this is a boundary. All you have to do, oh, come on, somebody. All you have to do is just get to that fence. And if you get on that line and you walk on down the trail, you're going to come out on the back end of our property. Can I tell you, Brother Cannon, amen, that I had a side relief when I took my hand off of that fence and I began walking in the right direction. I sure enough came out right exactly where my dad always said that I would go. This generation needs to understand that boundaries are important and landmarks are important. And you might be, you might be a generation that says, what meaneth these stones? But I'm telling you right now, I am so thankful. I am so thankful. I am so thankful that there was still a landmark uh, that I could find in the middle of the woods uh, or I was about to be in real trouble. I have to hurry. I have to hurry. Be seated for a moment. The next thing is that every man had a weapon. I feel like this is important because I, I think sometimes if we're not careful in the present age that we're in, we'll become a, a church generation that's lovers and not fighters. I know we're supposed to love everybody. But also there's a time to war. There's a time to fight. You can't, you can't love your city into revival. But you do need to love your city. Spiritual warfare combined with love for your city is what's going to get you revival. You can't just have spiritual warfare and no love. You got to have love and spiritual warfare. But you got to be willing to fight. You got to be willing to take somebody to the altar. You got to be willing to take some things to the Lord in prayer. You got to be willing to say, you know what? Uh, I, I, I woke up tonight with somebody on my mind. Uh, amen. Instead of going back to sleep, you're going to have to roll off the side of the bed uh, and say, God, I know you're talking to me. Who do you want me to pray for right now? Amen. Come on. You want to see revival in your youth group? Uh, start taking those people to the Lord in prayer. Get ready to put a weapon by your side. Because if this generation thinks that the devil's going to leave you alone, you have not been paying attention. Come on, when Paul had revival, it was revival, riot, or both. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. I'm almost done this morning. He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the what? To the pulling down of, someone say it with me. Strongholds, casting down imaginations. All right. All right. I promised myself that I would only take a second right here. Well, I think, this is what I think. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. This preacher thinks you ought to learn to cast down imaginations. Understanding that every thought, every thought that comes into your mind is not the Lord. And every person that says they have a good idea and a new revelation is not from the Lord. Come on, Paul said, if anything, if anybody, even if it be an angel, he said, even if it be myself, come and preach to you any other gospel than what I have delivered up to you, he said, let him be accursed. I'm telling you right now that we must learn to cast down imaginations and every high thing that insulted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
moving, moving, moving quickly. Nehemiah's adversary was Sanballat. This is another thing I want you to focus on right now. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not supposed to fight you. Let's go a little further. I'm not supposed to fight the youth group across town. Why can't we all be successful? Why can't we all just be the church? Why can't you support other apostolic believers in your school and not have to act like they got to come sit in your Sunday school class and they got to come? Why don't you guys get together and you all start teaching Bible studies? Amen. Come on. Your church might not be suited for everybody. There's a place for anyone. Amen. Why don't you get a hold of somebody and say, you know what? Why don't we join together? Because if if one could put a thousand to fly and two could put 10,000, come on. I think we could have revival in this school if we would just get together. Amen. Our, Our neighbors are not our enemies. Our other organizational neighbors are not our enemies. We're trying to do this thing together. And even if somebody treats me like an enemy, I get to rest- I get to determine whether or not I treat them like an enemy. Because 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, your adversary, the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Sambalat and Tobiah were threatened by the arrival of Nehemiah. I promise you that your adversary is alarmed when you pray. And he gets upset when he sees you constructing boundaries in your life. He gets alarmed when he hears a call to worship. He knows that his dominion is slipping. The the last point in this that I want to drop to you right now, I'm hurrying, hurrying, hurrying. Musicians can get ready to come. Every man was in earshot of a trumpet. There is a danger in getting too far out. There is a danger in being a fringe student. There is a danger in wandering so far out and listening to other voices that you can no longer hear the voice of your pastor, the voice of your student pastor. Every man was in earshot of a trumpet. That is to say, they're never too far from worship. I've got folks in my church, you probably do too. I, 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 tell, I tell everybody so, you know, that the tide comes in. Our, we start at 10, second service is at 10.45, and this, as the morning goes on, the tide rolls in. And I've got folks that they act like they just don't get any of worship, but the problem is, Brother Sam's, is they're always late to worship. I mean, the trumpet has sounded. 10 o'clock rang. We're kicking it off. At least 10.45 has come and gone. Pastor, I just don't feel like I'm getting everything that I need. Maybe, maybe you're too far away from the sound of the trumpet, and that's why you don't know what's going on. Maybe you're too far away from the sound of the trumpet, and you don't know whether it's time to build, time to fight, time to shout, time to dance, time to sing. I don't know, time to eat a bologna sandwich. You figure it out. You don't know what's going on because you're not connected, and anything that's not connected to the body dies. And anything that's not connected to the body... Nehemiah told him, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, you drop what you're doing, and you get together with one another. 
He said, we have to defend the boundaries that we are building. I want you to hear me right here. And we have to do that together. Stand with me this morning. The devil doesn't mind if you come to church. We've heard that this week. It's as true today as it was the first time it was said. He just doesn't want you to get in sync. I don't know if any lives were lost in the defending of this wall. But I would imagine so. I want to take you back to one more thing. Let's talk hard about boundaries for a second. The devil doesn't mind if you construct some rickety, old, lean-to, easy-to-crash joke of a boundary in your life. But he's going to attack you the moment that you start building on a firm foundation. I'm offended at these guys. They said... I'm offended at these guys because like they know the word better than we do. He said, even if a fox go up. Now remember the word saying something about it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. He said, even if a fox. I wonder sometimes what the enemy has to say about us behind our back. This is where I want to get you at right now. I think that there's probably a spirit somewhere. Come on, student. Don't let what I say next, don't let condemnation get a hold of you, but be empowered. Somewhere there's a spirit fine with you coming to camp, dancing, shouting. But there's an oppression waiting on somebody. When you leave this place, it said, ah, they'll be back. They'll be back. Let them construct some boundaries. Let that short little marginally fat guy talk to them about boundaries. Let him hoop and holler. Maybe he'll get his tie sideways. Let them run and jump and shout. They'll kick the music up in a minute and let them cry. He said, but even if a little fox go up it'll destroy their bow I'll I'll send them ooh you just wait I got the perfect snap coming into that dude's inbox Saturday night I don't care if you like this or not because I'm just going to say it anyway but I don't like any of this Snapchat business. If you're a pastor and you're fine with that, I'm not preaching against you. I'm telling you that I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think anything that removes accountability is a good idea. And while we're talking about accountability, in my opening story, Brother Carp, there were two men who walked the fence row. I think you need to get you an accountability partner. Not a PIC, not a partner in crime, an accountability partner. I think you need to get somebody in your life, another student perhaps, I'm preaching to students today. 
I think you ought to get another student in your life that's not afraid to tell you that you're a moron. And that you're about to ruin your life if you do that stupid thing. That's right. I think you need to have somebody that's bold enough in your life that could say, you're about to ruin everything. You're about to lose it all. You know how many students have come through these camps throughout the years? You're going to go find somebody somewhere that's like, I used to go to Indiana camp. I used to go. My favorite line, I used to be apostolic. You know, but now, if they're not fully, you know, maybe they're completely out of church. We consider all of this to be out of church. Hello, somebody. But maybe they're like, well, I go to another church that preaches freedom. You know what I hear from that? I hear that we don't love walls for the sake of walls. But let me tell you the most important part of a wall. You guys want to hear this? We're about to pray. The most important part of a wall is that all walls have doors. Don't leave this camp and let somebody say, my goodness, is that all they ever talk about? It's boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. That sounds a lot like a world that wants full access to you at all hours of the day, at all times, and in every scenario. I think you need to be reminded that you're in this world. You are not of this world. I got doors in my wall so that people can come and so that people can go. But even I know that there comes a time to shut the door. He doesn't mind if you construct some rickety old wall. I want you to know something, that this generation has all the tools that we need to have revival right here, right now. If it would be appropriate, I want you to come and I want you to stand in this front. Rather than give a a, a regular altar call, we're gonna end this session today in, in prayer. We're gonna end this session today in prayer. I'm right about on time. I've hit my mark. I come across a story of a vineyard that's in Spain that was lying in waste. These guys bought this great house and they said, you know, we need a new headquarters for our place. But they went down into the, into the library of the, of the facility and they learned that at one time, everybody say at one time, you know, it used to be. At one time, it was a fruitful vineyard. Matter of fact, it was so fruitful that it grew the grapes for the Vatican. It was the Pope's wine. Now, it's just an empty, burn up, unkept field. So they got the stuff together and they started digging and they found out that the more that they dug, that the vineyard actually, through years of neglect, had retreated under the ground and was still intact. And so they went through the process and they put 
put the stakes in the ground and they got the vines to come back up and they coaxed them up and watered them and said, come on, come on vines, let's grow a little grapes. Let's grow a little fruit, let's, let's be fruitful. But the problem is, is that the, the place for the Hoffman that that place is in Spain is right by the ocean. Which is interesting because I don't know if you know this or not, we've talked a lot about seed this week, but if you wanna kill crops, put salt in your soil. So the storms would come and the wind would blow, Brother Allen, and it would blow the sand from the ocean onto the vineyard and it wouldn't grow. So they said, we need to dig a little deeper and we need to figure out, Brother Dobbs, come here, Brother Dobbs, you preach this morning, you come up here and stand with me. We're gonna figure out something. How did they get this vineyard to be fruitful? when it's right by the ocean, just like where we are right now, how did this become the vineyard of the Pope's wine? They got to digging further and they realized that down at the coast, there's a special reed that grew. And the husbandman found out many centuries ago that they could take that that reed and they would cut it down and they would weave it together and they would make a fence. And that when the winds would blow, that reed would absorb all of the salt content. You know what they did? They went down and they started cutting those reeds and they started weaving that boundary and they put that boundary up in between the contaminants and the vineyard. And would you believe it? Would you believe it? That the vineyard began to produce fruit almost immediately. Don't tell me that we don't need boundaries. And don't tell me that we don't need to link up in those boundaries together. Amen. Come on, if we're gonna have revival in our city, we're gonna need boundaries. Individual boundaries, corporate boundaries. Come on, we're about to pray, but I need to tell you one last thing. You are in this together. You are a youth group together. You build together. You fight together. You worship together. And you will grow together. When somebody's coming against you, you yoke up with one another. When somebody's coming against you, hey, that's my youth member. That's my church member. That's my friend. Come on, that's my comrade. Come on, that's that's my partner. Hey man, we're gonna pray together. Don't ignore your friends when you go to school. Build boundaries together. Lift up your hands all across this house. The devil hates a wall. He'll try to tear it down if he needs to, but he'll just assume you not build it to begin with. Here's what you need to do right now. With every hand raised and every eye, eye closed. I know that you might not want to be too loud with this, and that's okay. I feel like God's fixing to speak to you right now. Each of you, while I've been preaching, many of you have been thinking about holes in your boundaries, gaps, obvious gaps. Some of you have been so real with yourself that you said, you know what, I've put on a good show. 
like I've got everything under control, but the preacher's preaching right up my alley. And I, I'm exposed. I've, I have left holes in the wall so that the enemy can come in and out of my life. I've left accountability holes in my social media activity. I'm doing things with people in the dark I shouldn't be doing things with. I'm going places I shouldn't go. I'm watching things I shouldn't watch. I'm listening to things I shouldn't listen to. Come on. Come on, right now, I want you to turn your mind inward. I want you, I want you to look at your heart right now. Come on, we're going to start laying a stone. We're going to lay a foundation in prayer right now. That foundation is going to begin with repentance. I know that I'm taking a moment, but I want us to begin to lift up our voices, and I want us to spend a few moments in repentance this morning. Come on, real repentance. Real repentance. Come on, it might have to get ugly for a minute. That's okay. I'm not sure if it's repentance if it don't turn into ugly prayer. Come on. Nobody's giving you the microphone so you can confess your sins to everybody. Come on, adults, every one of us. Every one of us has, a, has an area of weakness. There's a weak link. There's a weak link. There could be a weak link in our wall somewhere. Come on, I'll put no wicked thing before my eyes. We can start right there. Lord, if I've been looking at anything, if I've been looking at anything that is against you, God, I'm sorry. Lord, anything my eyes have wondered, anything, God, anything, God, Lord, your word tells me to touch not the unclean thing and you'll receive me, God, if I've been touching anything that's unclean, forgive me right now. Come on, I want you to let that out right now. Come on, let that out right now. Come on, this is your prayer of repentance. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Forgive me for allowing the boundaries of my life to lie in waste. Forgive me, God, for allowing the enemy unprecedented access into my life. God, forgive me for not building like I ought to build and not fighting like I ought to fight and not being within the sound of the trumpet like I ought to be.